I was amazed. I was amazed last week by the phenomena, the eclipse that we were able to view. I hope you were able to view it safely last week during the time when the eclipse was at its fullest here in this area. Our office staff was outside with the glasses on looking up, and we heard some cheering, and we looked across, and the bank employees were out in the parking lot looking up, and, and we waved, and they waved, and it was, it was a big event. And I was amazed to just see the, the wonder of that natural phenomenon. But that, that wasn't the only thing that caused me amazement. I was amazed at how specific the websites were that told you the exact time that the events would be unfolding. I mean, to the minute, you could check your watch and look up, and it was exactly as the website told you it would be. Now, the reason that that we could be so specific with eclipses and exactly when the the moon is going to eclipse the light of the sun is because of the reliability of the cosmos. You know, you can set your watch by the sun and the moon and the stars. Matter of fact, that's what we do. Our our time is set on the the reliability of the heavens. And did you know that the Bible uses the reliability of the heavens as an illustration of God's faithfulness. In other words, just like the Bible says you can count on the sun coming up, you can count on God. And so the orderliness of our solar system, the specificity of knowing when things are going to happen in our solar system is a reflection of God's faithfulness. And our passage this morning is about God's faithfulness. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 21 as we see some reminders of his faithfulness to his people in this wonderful book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which I will remind you is truth with no mixture of error. Joshua chapter 21, verse 1, the Bible says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The remainder of the chapter is the designation of the cities that would be given to the tribe of the Levites among the other tribes' territories. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, great is your faithfulness. Just like we can count on sunrise and sunset and eclipses, we can count on you. And I pray, Lord, that you would 
remind us of your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would capture our hearts with your faithfulness. And I pray that we would leave today clinging closer to you because of your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, you would accompany the preaching of your word with your spirit. That our eyes might be opened, that we might see the truths of scripture and have the inclination, the wherewithal to respond to what you show us. Lord, would you change our lives today? Would you help us to understand how good you are? Would you help us to understand something more of the the faithfulness you show through the sending of your Son and through the finished work of our Savior, who is Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray today. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've worked our way through the book of Joshua, we've seen how the Lord commanded the Israelites to cross the Jordan to go into the land that he was giving them. We saw how God gave them power to overthrow the peoples living there in that land so they could possess that land. And in this section we find ourselves in today, God is giving the land or dividing up the land among the different tribes of Israel. Now you remember that the Lord said to the Levites, the priestly tribe, you don't get a portion of land. But each tribe that is given land will set aside cities for you in which to dwell. And that's what chapter 21 is about. The Levites come to Joshua and they say, you know, the Lord said we get cities in, in the different tribal areas. And so would you show us what our cities are and the different cities are allotted to the Levites. And that's what this chapter is about. It's a lot of information. There are different cities and place names. And you kind of read it and think, is there anything uh, relevant for me in this passage? Well, there's much to see in this passage. And really this passage points us to the faithfulness of God. We see something of God's character in this chapter, in this land distribution. So let me tell you three things about our God that come from this passage that remind us of who he is. Number one, our God is a God of preservation. Our God is a God of preservation. It says there in verse 41, as the different cities have been designated for the different Levites among the different tribes of Israel, verse 41, the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture land. So the Lord designated 48 cities for the Levites to live in. They didn't have their own land, but they did get cities in which to dwell, in which to thrive. And so God has scattered the Levites, the priestly tribe, among all the other tribes of Israel because every tribe in their land had to designate cities for the Levites. And so the Levites are scattered among all the other tribes of Israel. Now, why did God do that? Why did God scatter Levites among all the other tribes? Well, God scattered these Levites throughout the tribes to be salt and light. He wanted them to be there to continually point people to him. Well, how do you know that? Well, in Deuteronomy 33, 10, the Bible says, They, the Levites, shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. It was the Levites' job to oversee the sacrificial system that God had put in place. And it was their job to teach the people of Israel, all the tribes, 
the law of God. They were to teach the word to the people of Israel. So it makes sense that they would be scattered among all the tribes so all the tribes would have access to the Levites teaching them the word of God. The word of God would help Israel to live faithfully for the Lord. Jason Lowe Baxter writes, The distribution of the Levites was the Lord's provision for the preservation of Israel's faith in the land. They had entered by faith, they had overcome by faith, and that faith must now be maintained in the place of blessing by the teaching of God's word. Maintained faith, listen to this, maintained faith was the condition of maintained blessings. Faith's food is God's word. So is it always. So the Lord gave them land. Now, I want you to live faithfully for me. And if you live faithfully for me, I will bless you. But if you're going to live faithfully, you need to be reminded of and taught the truth of my word. And as you are taught the word of God, it will fuel your faith to live before me. And so God scatters the Levites throughout the other tribes so they could teach the word, thereby preserving, maintaining the faith of God's people. So God here demonstrates a heart for his people to to grow strong in their faith. And that is true today. As his people today, the church, God has a desire for us to grow strong in our faith. When God begins a work, the Bible says God completes it. God will finish what he starts. Over in Philippians 1.6, the Bible says that God who began a good work in us will complete it till the day of redemption. So when God starts his work in your life, he will continue his work in his life. He will finish his work in your life. He is, he's not just uh, bent on getting you into the kingdom or getting you into heaven. God wants you to be saved and he wants you to grow and be sanctified in your walk with him. So God continually works in your life. He's continually keeping you, holding you, preserving your faith and preserving my faith. And God has given his people today resources in order to build their faith or maintain their faith. What are some resources God has given us to grow in our faith? Number one, he's given us the word of God. Just like he gave the people of Israel through the Levites teaching the word of God, he's given us the word of God. You and I have a tremendous, incredible gift from God. We have the completed canon of Scripture, 66 books, the Word of God, truth with no mixture of error. Our Bible is amazing. God speaking to us, and the Bible says of itself, it is living and active and sharper than any two edges. Aren't you Aren't you glad that God is giving us his living word to live by and to grow from? We have the word of God. The word of God is a resource God has given us to grow. Well, let me say it like this. You simply will not grow and flourish in your faith if you do not consistently engage the word of God. Can you imagine trying to live a godly life apart from the Bible? Can you imagine trying to live a godly life if we did not have God's word and its completed canon, canonical form? Can you imagine that? Coming real close. Some of you are trying. 
trying to live the right way apart from consistent intake of God's Word. Let me ask you a question. I'm not being ugly, but let me ask you a question. How's that going for you? How's it going trying to live the Christian life without intake from God's Word? God has given us His Word for us to grow and flourish in our faith, in our walk with Him. And listen, you simply will not grow. You will stagnate apart from interaction with the Bible. Growth is not going to happen. So God has given us the resource of His Word to maintain and preserve our faith. God has given us the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. The Bible teaches that when we are born again at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit of God enters our life. He comes to take up residence in us. Now, just a reminder, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead. God Himself comes to live in you when you're saved. And that is an amazing reality that we far too often just yawn at. God in you. And He's come to take up residence in your life to change you, to mold you, to shape you, to equip you, to encourage you, to comfort you. He lives in you. I say often that one of the ways I know that I'm a Christian is because I can't get away with anything. Whenever my priorities shift wrongly or I begin to go the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in me begins a mighty work of conviction to capture my attention, to capture my heart, so I'll get back on the right path. How about you? That's the work of the Spirit of God. Working in us to help us to grow in our faith, to preserve our faith in Him. So He's given us the Word of God the Spirit of God. He's given us pastors and teachers. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that Christ has given gifts to His church. And, and one of the gifts He's given to His church is the gift of pastors and teachers to instruct His people in the Word of God. The Bible says that pastors and teachers are intended by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry, so they can learn the Word of God, apply the Word of God, and live for the glory of God. God gives His church pastors and teachers to help them to grow. I can't tell you the, the impact that godly pastors and teachers have had in my life to teach me the things of God and to encourage me in the things of God and to, to, to equip me to live for the glory of God. So God gives us the Word. He gives us the Spirit. He gives us pastors and teachers. But there's a final resource God gives us to build our faith. And it's the people of God. It's the church. Over Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says that we are to encourage one another to love and good works. Spur one another on to live for the glory of God. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, it says in Hebrews. Get together so you can encourage each other to keep on keeping on. It's important that we gather so we can spur one another on to live for the Lord. So we have the people of God encouraging us to do the right thing. So think about it like this. 
God wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to thrive in your faith. And He's given you the Word of God, which is before you. He's given you the Spirit of God, which is within you. He's given you pastors and teachers that come along beside you. And He's given you the church, which is around you, encouraging you in the things of God. God has given us resources for our faith to be preserved and maintained and to thrive. Aren't you glad that God not only saves us, but He continually cultivates our lives? Just like He did for Israel. These Levites were scattered among the other tribes so the Word of God could go forth. He cared about their continuing faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm a little upset with my dog. His name is Scout. And he's really, he's hurt my feelings. And, and let me tell you how he's hurt my feelings. My dog likes my neighbor's grass more than mine. Now, my neighbor, he's really diligent. He's out there all the time. He's cutting. He's spraying. He's, and his grass is it's like a golf course right beside me. It's beautiful. I mean, it's really, and it's, the grass is soft, and there are no weeds in it. And so when I'm outside, I'll, my dog will walk over and lay in his grass. And he looks at me like, I'm sorry, it's just better. Sorry, it's just, his grass is better than your grass. Now, now, why? Why is my neighbor's grass better? Because it's cultivated. There's attention given to it constantly, and it, and it looks great. It's growing. It's healthy. Listen to me. God gives us His attention. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to grow. I use this word a lot. He wants us to thrive in our walk with Him. So in Joshua 21, we see here that our God is a God of preservation. He's preserving the faith of His people. But secondly, our God is a God of providence. Providence. Look back in chapter 21, verse 4. It says, The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites, so those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priests, received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon and Benjamin, 13 cities. Now, as we see this passage unfold, there are four groups of Levites mentioned. The first group is uh, the descendants of Aaron. These are Kohathites. They come from the Kohathite clan, and, and the, the different clans are named after the sons of Levi. And from the Kohathites come the descendants of Aaron, and the descendants of Aaron were the, the high priests. So they're a pretty important group, and they're mentioned kind of separately. And then the rest of the Kohathites are mentioned, and then two other clans are mentioned among the Levites, the Gershonites and the Merarites. That bless you knowing all that? Is that good? You glad you heard that today? Now, what's the significance of this? Well, the uh, Kohathites, uh, mentioned in verse 20, they were the largest clan, and they are responsible for the transportation of the tabernacle and its furnishings. Now, some of them, the, the sons of Aaron, they were high priests. The rest of them were responsible for transporting the tabernacle and the furnishings that housed the Ark of the Covenant. The Gershonites, mentioned in verse 27, they were responsible for the tabernacle's coverings and curtains. And the Merarites, verse 34, they were responsible for the tabernacle's frames and pegs. So during this time, the wilderness wanderings, and while the tabernacle was still a temporary structure, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, the Merarites had very important jobs. Every time it was time to move the tabernacle somewhere, 
the Kohathites would get the furnishings. They would carry the furnishings and watch out for those. The Gershonites would get the tabernacle's coverings and curtains, and, and they would transport those. The Merorites would get the frames and pegs that the coverings and curtains were placed upon, and they would carry those. It was a very orderly system, these three groups carrying the different parts of the tabernacle to where it needed to be. Then they'd set it up, and the Ark of the Covenant would be placed in that tabernacle, the center place of worship for the people of Israel. So all of this was temporary. The tabernacle was a temporary dwelling, not a permanent dwelling. In fact, in this time, they did not understand that about 400 years after this time, the tabernacle would be made permanent in a dwelling called the temple in a city called Jerusalem. Now, when the, when the tabernacle became permanent, they built a permanent structure called a temple for the Ark of the Covenant to reside in. There'd be no more need for the Kohathites to carry the coverings. You have a permanent structure now. And the Merites would not have to transport the 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 things they transported, and, and the Gergeshites would not have to transport the things they were to, to uh, the Gershonites would have to transport the, the curtains, and Merites would have to transport the pegs, and Kohathites would have to transport the furnishings. It's kind of confusing, but, but when, the, when, the, when the temple was permanent, these other tribes would not have as significant a role in what happened at the Ark of the Covenant, the place of worship. One group had an important role, the priests who came from Aaron. And if you see what unfolds here, it's, it's fascinating. Look what it says in verse 4. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites, so those Levites who were descended uh, descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon and Benjamin, 13 cities. So the priests were placed in the areas of Judah and Simeon right around Jerusalem, where the temple would reside. Now, again, this is 400 years before that would happen. But when the temple was built through Solomon and it became a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, a permanent structure, guess who was close by to send priests? Aaron. Now, the other Kohathites and Merites and Gershonites, they were scattered all throughout the other tribes. But their role was not as, va- as vital. The, the priests needed to be close, and they were. And God set that up. In other words, the Lord placed the right clan in the right place in anticipation of temple worship in Jerusalem. Donald Madvig writes, Inasmuch as the temple would be built in Jerusalem, the towns of the high priest family were conveniently located in the territories of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. Some see this as evidence that the Levitical towns were not selected until after Jerusalem was chosen as the site of the temple. Much to the contrary, Madvig writes, it is evidence of God's providence. God knew the priests would need to be close to Jerusalem, so he gave them cities right in that area. That's God, God's providence at work, putting the right people in the right place for the right time. And we need to understand that because God is faithful, he is always faithfully at work. We should look for and rest in God's providential hand. This morning in my personal Bible reading, I finished the book of Esther, which is a tremendous book. And in in that book, we see that God's name is not mentioned. It's not mentioned. And yet, as you see the story unfold, God's fingerprints are everywhere. He's 
providentially at work raising up Esther to be the queen of Persia so she could come before the king on behalf of her people and save the Jews from sure annihilation. It's an amazing story how God had Esther in the right place at the right time. Her uncle Mordecai, when challenging her to go before the king on behalf of her people, says, Don't you understand that you could have been placed in this role for such a time as this? God's put you here for a purpose providentially, and you could be there at the right time. It's another reminder that God is always at work. And that's true today. It's not just true in Joshua 21. It's not just true in the book of Esther. God is always at work around us. He's always working everything together. He's, he's always weaving events and circumstances and lives together for His purposes. Now, do you think about your life like that? Do you ever ask the question, why am I where I am? Why do I work where I work? Why do I have the background that I have? Why do I have the skill set that I possess? Could it be that God is working in your life and on your life and through your life and He has you right where He wants you for His purposes? God is always at work. And just like He arranges the sons of Aaron being there close to Jerusalem, He puts us right where He wants us when He wants us for His purposes. And so maybe you and I need to start asking the question, Lord, you're in control. God, you're always at work. God, your fingerprints are all over my life. Why? Show me what you have for me. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how I can be faithful in this place I'm in in life. God, who is always faithful, in His providence and sovereignty, use you. There's a third reality about the Lord I want you to see that comes from Joshua 21. Our God is a God of preservation. Our God is a God of providence. And third, our God is a God of promises. I'm going to spend most of our time here. And I want you to fast forward to the end of the chapter where this section of the allotment of the land for the tribes is summed up. Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word, I almost titled the sermon, not one word. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so as this section of Joshua is is brought to a conclusion before the final couple of chapters, the final few chapters, there's this statement made of God's faithfulness in keeping His promises. And it's a very strong statement. Now to understand this, we need to understand two things. First of all, God promises people land. He promises people land, Joshua 1.6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Going all the way back to Abraham. 
The Lord said, Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants a land in which to dwell. And God also promises people rest. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then to the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. So the Lord said through Moses, when you get into the promised land, I will give you rest from your enemies. In Hebrews 4, we learn that rest is a picture of the Christian life. That we don't work to earn our salvation. We rest in God's grace who's given it to us as a gift. But God promises people land. And he promises people rest. And as he always does, God came through on his promises. Look in verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it. Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. So the Lord promised land, and he came through. The Lord promised, promised rest, and he came through. As he always does, God kept his promises. Now verse 45, it says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. That word failed in the original Hebrew language is the word for falling to the ground. Literally what it says is, not one word that God spoke concerning Israel fell to the ground. God never speaks an empty or vain word. His word always accomplishes what he wants it to accomplish. He always keeps his word. His word never fails, never falls to the ground. It always comes to fruition. Not one word fails to come to pass. So, God is a promise-keeping God. And, and let me tell you why that's such a big deal. God's faithfulness to keep His word is vital. Vital. Because we experience God through covenants. That's how we experience God, through covenants. Now, if we experience God through covenants, it's pretty important that God keeps His covenants, right? So what are some covenants that God has made? Well, God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, I'm going to give you a son. Your son will have sons, and through your descendants there will be a great nation that comes into existence. I will form a great nation from your descendants. And... Through your descendants, Abraham, all the peoples on the face of the earth will be blessed. Did God keep his word to Abraham? Did he? Yeah. He gave Abraham a son named Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph, and other sons, and, and, and a great nation was building. And, and the Old Testament is the story of God preserving his people and protecting his people. Even when they were faithless to him, he still, he still kept them together. Even when he judged them, he still left a remnant so that one day through the Hebrew people he could send his son, a Messiah named Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth through the Jewish people and he went to the cross and died for our sins. And after he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. He defeated death itself so that 
if anyone from any people group, any tribe, any, any tongue, any ethnicity, if anyone places their faith in Christ and His finished work, they will be blessed with salvation. God kept His word to Abraham. Amen? One of you thought that was worthy of an amen. God kept His word to David. He told David, David, your son's about to take the throne, Solomon. But I want you to understand that one day through your lineage, there will come a king whose reign never ends. 2 Samuel chapter 7. He will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Did God keep his promise to David? Well, he did. Through his lineage, he sent the Messiah, whose name is Jesus. And Jesus defeated sin, he defeated death. He rose from the grave, ascended to the Father. He rules and reigns, Ephesians 1. He rules and reigns over the universe. The earth is his footstool. One day he will come back and set everything right. He is not just a king. He is the king of kings. God kept his promise to Abraham. He kept his promise to David. He kept his covenant. He's faithful. There's another covenant that God made, and, and God kept his end of the covenant, but the people he made the covenant with, they just blew it. He made a covenant with his people, the nation of Israel. The Bible calls it the old covenant. The Lord had a purpose for his chosen people. They were to be a kingdom of priests that were to make his name known to the other nations around Israel to show the greatness and the goodness and the glory of the one true God. He told his people, if you will obey me, keep my law, serve me faithfully, you will experience great blessing. But you turn your back to me, you worship false gods, you rebel against me, Judgment will come. Devastating judgment. Well, Israel failed. They did not live faithfully for the Lord. The Old Testament tells us they turned their back to God. They began to worship pagan gods and give their lives to false idols. Because of their rebellion, God sent other nations to, to judge them, even to take them into captivity and exile. Failed to keep the old covenant. I'm coming real close. So have you. God has told us what He expects from humanity. He's given us commandments, and we've all fallen short of His perfect standard. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. Use the Ten Commandments, for example, and just put your life up beside the Ten Commandments. Has anyone in here perfectly kept the Ten Commandments your entire life? The answer is, of course not. You have not I haven't. We've all rebelled against a holy God. We've all blown it, just like Israel. Well, that's really bad news. Is there any hope? 
for those that have rebelled against God? Well, there is hope because God initiated, listen to this, a new covenant for those that blew it when it came to the old covenant. But what's the new covenant entail? Well, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. In other words, we've all disobeyed God. We've all blown it. But Jesus Christ came and died. It mentions his death. He died to pay the penalty for our rebellion. So that. We embrace Him as our Lord and Savior by faith. He applies His shed blood to our lives and our sins are washed away. We are forgiven. And then God begins a transformation process in our life. Hebrews 8, quoting the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, tells what the Old Covenant is. It's forgiveness, full forgiveness, and inner transformation. And in Christ, you and I experience full forgiveness and inner transformation. Yes, we have not kept the old covenant. We have rebelled and disobeyed God. But there is a new covenant that you can experience if you will believe in Jesus. And guess what? God will keep his end of the covenant. God promised you eternal life. Guess what? He'll give you eternal life. God promised you forgiveness. Guess what? He will grant you complete forgiveness. God promised you transformation. Guess what? The Spirit of God will come in your life and begin to change you from the inside out. God always comes through on His promises. 2 Timothy says, even we are faithless, God is faithful. So, the fact that God keeps His promises is a a big deal because we can only experience them through covenants. God didn't keep his covenant, we'd be we'd be in terrible condition. But God does keep his promises. So let me just tell you very quickly, Wade, how can we take God's promises and and cling to them and believe that he always comes through? Let me give you three things very quickly. Why can we trust God's promises? Number one, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. Verse 43 says, the, word, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he had swore to give to their fathers. Going all the way back to the promise to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. That was 700 years before they actually took possession of the land. 700 years is a long time, right? 700 years! And yet God remembered his promise and came through on his promise. God doesn't forget. If I make a promise to you, I guarantee you after a few decades, I'll probably forget it. And, and you would too. 700 years, God doesn't forget. He gives them what he told them he would give them. He gives them land. There, there have been times I've not kept my word simply because I've forgotten. I mean, have you ever had the experience? You're on your way home from work. You get a phone call or a text. Hey, could you just run by the grocery store real quick and get you know, these five items. And you go to the grocery store, and you're doing good, and you're a good husband, you're feeling great about yourself, and you get home, and you're pulling stuff out of the bag, and your wife says, well, where's the flour I needed? Oh, 
I what? Forgot. I had every intention of keeping my word. I had every intention of being a great husband and getting everything on the list. But, but I'm not capable of always remembering everything. I forget sometimes. How about you? God never forgets. He keeps his promises. Number two, why can we trust God's promises? Because God doesn't lie. In Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, when it speaks of God's promise to give us eternal life, it says that in that promise, it is impossible for God to lie. He's holy. He's perfect. He never is deceitful. He cannot lie. It's just not part of who he is. So when God says he's going to do something, he always comes through, which leads to the third thing. God is able. God is able. Turn to Romans 4 with me very quickly. I want to show you just a really cool verse about Abraham's faith, and we're going to close it down. Romans chapter 4. It says in verse 18, Romans 4, verse 18, speaking of Abraham's faith, remember God said to Abraham when he was advanced in years, his wife Sarah was unable to have children, they were unable to conceive. God said, I want to give you a son. Well, it was tough on Abraham to believe that promise. Look what it says in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. That'll bless you, won't it? Which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Watch this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You know why you can take God's promises to the bank? Because he has all ability and power at his disposal to do what he said he will do. I can make promises to you that I'm I'm not capable of keeping. I don't have the the wherewithal, the capacity to keep them. It's like a a child running for, uh, a teenager running for student council elections. You know, we're we're at a recess and, uh, you know, we'll we'll serve Chick-fil-A in the cafeteria and, and, and uh, we'll get out of school earlier. Well, they're making promises they can't keep, right? But listen to me. When God makes a promise, he has all ability at his disposal. He can keep his promises. He has all power. God is able. So what do we learn from this kind of obscure chapter, Joshua 21? We're reminded that our God is a God of preservation. We're reminded that our God is a God of providence, and we're reminded that our God is a God of promises. Let me give it to you like this. Here's the point of the sermon. God faithfully keeps his word by working for and through his people. God faithfully keeps his word by working for and through his people. He's always holding us, always preserving us, always building our faith. He's always working providentially to achieve his purposes through his people, and he's always keeping his promises. I had an entire section in this sermon that I had to cut out this past week. Because I knew I wouldn't have time to preach it. But I was going to spend some time talking to you about God's past promises, God's present promises, and God's future promises. Here's what I want you to understand. 
when God makes a promise, He always keeps it. Our God is faithful. And we should rejoice and rest in that reality.